For the ones who get it done, the most important part is the one you need now. And the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger, Because we have professional-grade supplies for every industry, even hard-to-find products. And we have same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment to help keep you up and running. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to another edition of the Cool Stuff Ride Home Podcast. Marcus Paff joined by Reggie Rizzo. Coming up on today's episode, virtual reality is for all of us, and that includes rodents, plus the end of an era for one of the world's largest video game conferences. Also, the days of the week. You know them, you love some of them, but where the heck did those names come from? We'll fill you in. All that plus this day in history coming up on Cool Stuff Ride Home. Well, virtual reality is seemingly all the rage these days, from storefronts promoting a chance to search a haunted house or ride a virtual roller coaster, to the at-home Quest goggles promoted by Facebook's parent company, Meta, a lot of people seem to be cashing in. But as far as I knew, all current VR users were human. Not anymore. Researchers at Northwestern University, the Big Ten institution located just outside Chicago, have developed VR goggles for mice. The IMRSIV, or Miniature Rodent Stereo Illumination VR, of course, were designed to give researchers a better understanding of mouse behavior in their natural environment. Rather than attempting to simulate the great outdoors with a series of screens that surround the rodent, a solution with a number of shortfalls, including a lack of 3D depth, the goggles afford researchers the chance to do things like simulate an aerial attack from above by a bird of prey. Per Sky News, researchers projected a dark, expanding disc into the top of the goggles and the top of the mice's fields of view. Upon noticing the disc, the mice either ran faster on the treadmill used during these tests or froze, both of which are common responses to threats in the wild. So mission accomplished for the researchers anyway. The headgear itself is made up of two lenses and two screens split between both eyes and give the rodents an immersive 3D picture. John Issa co-authored the peer-reviewed research, which was published in the journal Neuron and noted his team would also like to simulate scenarios where the mouse is the predator. Quote, we could watch brain activity while it chases a fly, for example. That activity involves a lot of depth perception and estimating distances. Those are things that we can start to capture, end quote. This is a neat story in its own right, and it it sheds some light on the power of VR. I think most of us, Reggie, immediately talk about the entertainment value, but VR is also being used more and more in jobs that require highly skilled movement and technical training. I guess the oldest example, of course, is a flight simulator for pilots. But in more recent years, prospective surgeons have begun using VR to learn and practice intricate procedures that might otherwise jeopardize real patients. Uh, But VR isn't just being used for high-risk job training either, or tasks that would be too costly in real life. One potential use that hasn't been fully exploited yet, and I found this really interesting when doing some research, is training customers on how to use a new product they recently purchased. For example, replacing an appliance component like in a refrigerator or a stove installing a new faucet or assembling a piece of furniture in a virtual space rather than via paper instructions or videos. I got to be honest, I don't know if that latter example is something that I would care to engage VR in. I'm already frustrated enough reading those instructions and or trying to follow along with the videos that you can now download on your phone. But You know, whatever makes life easier when it comes to piecing together furniture, I'm all for it. So maybe I'd have to give it a shot. 
I would have to say fixing a refrigerator or faucet might be useful because I know I'm going to make a mistake. I'd rather make a mistake in VR first and learn from that and then do it on the actual appliance after the fact. Have you had a chance to use VR goggles in any form or fashion? Briefly, not much. I played a video game with them before, but that's it. And by the way, the whole mouse thing, first of all, I guess they don't need to make mazes anymore. You just put on the goggles. (laughs) Fair enough. I guess you just follow along with whatever it is the mouse is seeing and know if he made the right choice. Yeah. The the next thing is that sounds like a future video game. You are a mouse. (laughs) Dodge the owl. (laughs) Prevent being hunted or do the hunting. I mean, how is that not a video game in the future? Man, that's constant stress. Owl, cat. Uh, bobcat. I, I don't, I don't, I don't oh, know. Until you get to the fly. Then you're excited and you capture the fly. Finally, something exciting. Yes, that'd be the first time in my life I'd be excited to see a fly. Find the cheese. Avoid the mousetrap. I mean, that's totally a video game. <laughs> oh, yeah, we can play the old board game mousetrap, but a little more realistically. <laughs> uh, yeah, I dig it. I, I've never had a chance to put the actual, like, at-home goggles on. I have done the experience where they, they slap them on you in a store and you ride a roller coaster. I think, in fact, I took, like, a helicopter ride over the Serengeti or something, which was pretty neat, I have to say. It, it's cool, but I can only imagine... Here's here's sort of like our go-to refrain for half these stories we tell. What this is going to be like in another 10, 20, 30, 40 years when they really perfect just all the intricacies that come with VR to the point that you actually feel like you're living in the matrix. I think first step is smaller goggles. They're they're, smaller they're rather goggles. large right now. Something where you doesn't you don't notice that it's on you as much. Yeah, that, fair that point. does kind of take away from the event. Yeah, fair enough. Hopefully they're onto something a little bit smaller in the near future. You know the saying, all good things must come to an end. That appears to be the case for E3, what was once one of the biggest video game conferences in the world. According to a statement from ESA, the Entertainment Software Association, after more than two decades of E3, each one bigger than the last, the time has come to say goodbye. Thanks for the memories, end quote. That announcement was followed by GGWP, or Good Game, Well Played. E3, which stood for Electronic Entertainment Expo, was canceled the past two years following the pandemic, partially due to big-time sponsors like Nintendo or Sony either pulling out completely from the event or reducing their presence there. Once that started happening, video game publishers started putting on their own conferences, which allowed them to control the content and focus on what they wanted to. In an exclusive with the Washington Post, the president and CEO of ESA, Stanley Pierre-Louis, said, We know the entire industry, players and creators alike, have a lot of passion for E3. We share that passion. We know it's difficult to say goodbye to such a beloved event, but it's the right thing to do given the new opportunities our industry has to reach fans and partners. End quote. A little history on E3. In 1995, the original PlayStation was premiered costing $100 less than the Sega Saturn, which was considered the biggest competitor of their time. Some of the biggest game announcements were revealed at the conference, like the follow-up to the Metal Gear Solid game, Metal Gear Solid 2, aptly Mm. named. That was announced in 2000. The same goes for Halo. After its success, fans were eagerly waiting for that follow-up. That happened in 2003 with Halo 2. That was announced with a trailer as well. Legend of Zelda, after a disappointing uh, game previously, Twilight Princess was announced in 2004. In 2015, both Fallout 4 and Final Fantasy VII, the remake, were announced. And one of the biggest years for E3 was in 2005, when Nintendo, Sony, and Microsoft all revealed new systems, those of course being Wii, 
PlayStation 3, and the Xbox 360 consoles. However, not everything went as planned. In 1995, when the PlayStation was announced, Sega tried to one-up the competition. They thought they'd release the Sega Saturn early. However, that ended up hurting them. They only had six titles for players to choose from, and KB Toys, which was very popular at the time, weren't allotted any of the early releases, which let them be a little bitter towards them, and they didn't end up carrying the system at all. So it ended up hurting them, PlayStation taking over, and being the powerhouse it is today. In 2006, the PSP, or PlayStation Portable, wouldn't load when they were doing their demonstration, and then when they announced (laughs) the game that they were playing with much enthusiasm, the person yelled, Ridge Racer! And there was very little reaction from the crowd. Uh, the, The same year they were describing the game Genji 2 for the PlayStation 3, they said you could participate in, quote, famous battles that actually took place in ancient Japan, followed immediately by a giant crab popping out of the ground and uh, appearing next to the character, which was the same size of the character, which obviously is not accurate. How lifelike. (laughs) Very lifelike. Don't you remember the crab battles in ancient Japan? Oh, how could we forget? Some (laughs) of the greatest battles of all time. Yeah. On our episode description, uh, I will have links to some of the biggest announcements and failures of E3. Over the years, I was able to attend Comic-Con once. However, I was never able to attend E3. It was on my list of things to do, which I guess is not anymore because it doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah. It's passed you by, Reg. And, And for what it's worth, I never got to attend this conference either. But some of the things that you talked about that were announced at E3 over the years certainly brought back a lot of memories for me. I do recall my cousin receiving a a PlayStation 1 or the original PlayStation on Christmas one year and thinking, what on earth is this thing that spins CDs, DVDs? Because, of course, prior to that, most of the gaming consoles had cartridges. And that's what we came to know. I, I do remember sega saturn but vaguely you know, yeah <laughs> va- vaguely and exactly and and i think my memories of it really coincide with everything you described like it was sort of this fringe system that nobody really had or wanted at the time which was odd because i myself had a sega genesis as a kid and and that was huge but i i guess a marketing just fiasco that you know you choose to release it early and you offend one of your distribution partners with kb Boy, that, that, that certainly set them back So and set the stage for the next 20, 30 years for PlayStation. And Metal Gear, you mentioned that game, Metal Gear Solid 2. I was a huge fan of that game when it came out, I think, in 2001, maybe 2000. But I spent a lot of time in my bedroom playing good old Metal Gear. So... Yeah, kind of kind of cool to think back and and hear that all of these things were at least announced in some way, shape, or form at E3. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill this valentine's day duncan's got the perfect pairings to show your love so get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit duncan refresher with a cupid's choice donut 
Are you ready for love? America runs on Duncan. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Well, it's safe to say we're all familiar with the days of the week, each likely to elicit a different emotional response. Few of us are excited for Monday, whereas Ooh. Friday and Saturday, yeah, there you go, right, Reg? And <laughs> yeah. Friday and Saturday, a little bit different, you know? Maybe yeah. a round of applause, nice ring to those, those days. <laughs> but have you ever stopped to think about where those names come from? I really hadn't until recently, and then I go, what the heck is a Wednesday? Wednesday, yes. Uh, to a certain extent, the origin depends upon the language that you speak. For example, while the origin of the weekday names is relatively straightforward in Danish, it's a cultural mix when it comes to the English language. I took a closer look at the origin of these names using research from the Viking Ship Museum, and while you're probably asking yourself, why on earth would that be the entity you turn to for this research? It's because the names are, in many ways, directly linked to the Old Norse language, that is the language of medieval Norway, Iceland, Denmark, and Sweden up to the 14th century, from which the modern Scandinavian languages are derived. So it stands to reason, to some extent, that the Viking Ship Museum would have more information on this history. So let's get into it a little bit. Perhaps somewhat obvious, I guess, Sunday and Monday are named after the celestial bodies, the sun and the moon. That's the case in most languages. But the other days were originally named after Roman gods, who themselves were later appropriated, to a certain extent, by the Nordic people and assigned them their own names, meaning the Roman gods appropriated by the Nordic people and essentially created a god that was synonymous with the Roman version. Following the day of the moon, so getting back to the days, comes Tyr's Day. For Tyr, the god of war and justice per Britannica, Tyr was identified by the Romans with their own god Mars, hence Dies Martis, or Mars Day in Latin. My Latin's a little rusty if I ever had any to begin with. So that came to be rendered Tyr's Dogger in Old Norse, which you can probably see and hear sounds a lot like Tuesday. Of course, dogger meaning day in the Old Norse language. So you're telling me on Tuesday I should be prepared for war and justice when I get to work. That's what I'm telling you, Reggie. Okay, You've been to work you. with me before. You know what this is like. <laughs> yep. You better bring your shield. Okay, uh, I, next I, I'm going to prepare for my days of the week based on their, their Old Norse <laughs> names. <laughs> well, let's see what Wednesday turns into. Because next up is Woden's Day. Odin, one of the principal Norse gods that Marvel comic fans will undoubtedly recognize, was also sometimes referred to as Woden, same name with a W, in Old English. Odin himself was comparable to the Roman god Mercury, and thus Dies Mercury in Latin. I have no idea if that's correct. I'm going to own it with confidence and act like my <laughs> Latin is strong, Reg. While current sources, of course, attribute different characteristics and descriptions to Odin or Woden, he is seemingly universally viewed as the god of war and death, among a variety of other things. As far as the day of the week goes, you see how Woden's day transitioned to Wednesday. It, it makes sense with time. It seems like every day of the week has to do with war in some ways. Is that why they're all work days? <laughs> well, it was medieval times, Reg. And <laughs> if we know anything about medieval times, it was a, not a lot of fun to be had back then. It was no. it was a lot of war, a lot of famine, a lot of hard work just to survive. So I suppose you had to have someone to pray to about some of those it, things. Until you hit the weekend. We'll, we'll see what Saturday brings, but Sunday doesn't <laughs> sound so bad. It's the rest of the week. Yeah, yeah, no question. Well, of course, Woden had a son. He had two sons, in fact, but Thor, the most notable of those two, and he got his own day, Thor's Day. 
which seems obvious, as did Odin's wife Frigg, or Frigg's Day, who was the goddess associated with marriage and clairvoyance, among uh, a number of other things, in the same manner as Odin himself. So you've got Thor's Day. That one probably seems the most logical of the bunch. Thor's Day, immediately Thursday, okay. And then Frigg's Day eventually evolves into Friday. Now, Saturday did not follow the same pattern as in Old Norse, the name actually means hot water day, which can be translated loosely to washing day or bathing day. That said, the English Saturday originates from the Roman god Saturn and can thus be recognized from Latin, where the day is called Dies Saturnae. Once again, that per the Viking Ship Museum. So it all comes full circle as to why I consulted the Viking Ship Museum here for a lot of this information. But, you know, kind of an interesting piece here, Reg. I just, that was something that I've thought about in the past, but never bothered to follow up on. So I figured, why not? Let's look into this and, and talk about the origins of the day. And, you know, I, I suppose like so many things, including our language itself, most of it originates from something that happened hundreds, if not thousands of years ago. I'm starting to think maybe I shouldn't take the names so literal, but seeing as how I don't just wash on Saturday, I wash every day of the week. So <laughs> m maybe I should hold back on my theories here. I thought you were going to say you never take a shower on Saturday. So it just it doesn't <laughs> go hand in hand with a name. So fair enough. But yeah, I mean, it, it stands to reason, of course, that this is where these things would be derived from and, and kind of cool. Taking a look at this day in history on December 13th, 1759. The first music store in America opened in Philadelphia. It was founded wow. by Michael Hillegas and is believed to be the first store that sold merchandise only for music in colonial America. As for Hillegas, he was born in Philadelphia on April 22, 1729, to German immigrants. His father, George Michael Hillegas, was a successful merchant in the sugar and iron industries. What a Michael... name. What a name for the father, man. I mean, you got to be a, a musician of sorts. <laughs> George Michael Hillegas? Okay. But well, you can see probably where his son got the name Michael. You didn't really stretch too far there. <laughs> and Michael did follow in his dad's footsteps, becoming a successful businessman himself. One of his business, of course, being that music store. He didn't stop there, though. He later became a politician. In fact, he helped edit the Declaration of Independence, and the Continental Congress named him the first treasurer of the United States in 1775 with George Clymer. They actually shared the position until Clymer resigned in 1776. Hillegas held the position throughout the American Revolution and actually used much of his wealth to support the cause. It wasn't until September 11, 1789, when Congress created the Treasury Department and Alexander Hamilton took the oath of office as the Secretary of Treasury. That same date, Hillegas tendered his resignation and Samuel Meredith took over as Treasurer. Hillegas was also part of the American Philosophical Society, along with Benjamin Franklin. When Hillegas died in 1804, he was buried near Franklin in the Christ Church burial ground. What I want to know is, this guy had the first music store and founding father of this country. When are we going to have a musical about him? That makes more sense, doesn't it? You know what? That, that is a fair question. But also, anytime we talk about one of these historical figures from the 1700s, why is it they had eight different jobs? They were a politician. They ran a, a, a successful music store. They were also a, a, a philosopher for some reason. Uh, when, did, when they had time to sit around and contemplate life and different philosophies, I don't know. But apparently they made it happen. They made it work. God knows what else he was into in the uh, political realm. But it, it seems like that applies to everyone of that era. 
It's a good thing they didn't have LinkedIn back then because that would be a long profile to read. Let's say that. <laughs> a very diverse profile. By the way, when you open the story up about the, the first music store owner, I thought it might be Samuel B. Goody. Oh, that, that sounds like a very classical colonial name too, doesn't it? <laughs> you have to be of a certain age to understand that, I think, when there were actual <laughs> music stores in the mall selling CDs and cassettes and whatnot. Oh, man. Those were the days, Reg. Those were the days when I could finally get rid of that eight-track tape. And if you wanted music, <laughs> no, you can't download it from your living room. You got to traipse your behind down to the mall, search through a pile of stuff, and find the one that you want. Pay your sixteen to seventeen dollars, and then take it home. And hopefully, you like another song on that CD or tape, because otherwise, you just paid a lot of money for one song. Or you sat with your tape player. You put that tape in, wait it for that radio station to play that song, and you hit record as soon as you could. <laughs> Did that a lot. Then pause for commercials and yep. wait until another song you actually want comes on the radio and continue taping away. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Cool Stuff Ride Home. I hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, you can join us again tomorrow. I'm Roger Rizzo. He's Marcus Paff. If you have any questions, comments for us, coolstuffcommute at gmail.com. We also have that email written down in the episode notes. Talk to you tomorrow. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.